Hey, listeners, welcome to another episode of the Kids Ministry 101 podcast. This episode is the second in a series of episodes on special needs ministry and what we might do to better serve these important people within our churches. Let's dive into this episode with my friend and our host today, Jana McGruder. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for our second episode of a special needs ministry uh, series that we're doing called Becoming a Welcoming Church to Special Needs Families. I'm joined here again by our new friend, Sandra Peoples. Uh, So if you did not check out the first episode of this series, uh, you'll, you'll want to do that because Sandra goes into a little bit of her background, but she is the disability ministry consultant for the Southern Baptist Texas Convention and uh, has been on our advisory team that we have created uh, here at Lifeway Kids to help us uh, dig a little bit deeper into what it means to serve churches in their efforts of becoming a welcoming church for special needs families. And so uh, in our first episode, we looked at uh, a survey that, that LifeWay Research conducted back in March of 2020 that um, uncovered the fact that most churches, uh, pastors and churchgoers alike, feel like they are a welcoming church to those with special needs. And uh, how that's uh, a good thing. We're glad that they feel that way. And for the most part, a lot of them are doing a lot of good things uh, to welcome uh, special needs families. But there is a little bit of a disconnect in terms of if you really started asking parents and families uh, how they feel when they go to a church, maybe for the first time or or for multiple times. It may not quite be the same answer. And so what we want to do in this episode is talk about specific ways that churches can make families feel welcome. Um, and I want to start by uh, referencing an article that Sandra wrote for Lifeway Research called Five Things Special Needs Families Need from Their Church. And this article uh, does a great job of um, framing five things that we can start with. And so if you are a kids ministry leader, or maybe you're a pastor who is is listening to this and wondering, where do we even begin? We want to welcome uh, families that have uh, uh, children with disabilities and uh, but we don't know where to begin. And it may start with just one family, one child, one teenager who needs uh, special accommodations at church. And if if data is correct, which it is, we talked about this in the last episode, uh, up to 20 percent of kids in our public school system have some kind of accommodation or serving from their uh, from their schools. And so that means that if we're serving the same population as our communities, then there would be 20% of kids in in our ministries that also need those accommodations. And so if you don't have that, that could actually point to the fact that uh, there's some growth that could happen in in your church for welcoming special needs families. So with that said, I want our subject matter expert, Sandra, to be able to talk us through uh, some ways that we can um, make efforts to do that. So Sandra, I'm looking at your article now, and like I said, it does such a great job of of framing some things that we can do um, and what special needs families actually need. So uh, talk to us about uh, presence. That's kind of how you open the article. What does that mean to have presence? Yeah, I think uh, 
especially children's ministry leaders, preschool ministry leaders, they're on the front lines of this because you can have a family in your church and they have a child and then that child is diagnosed with a disability. And so what do they need from you in that moment of diagnosis? And it's your presence. It's just you showing up. It doesn't mean you have to say all the right things or, or do all the right things. This is also true for something like autism. It isn't diagnosed until a little bit later. It could be uh, usually the ages where it's diagnosed could be between two and three years old or five years old when they kind of transition in a kindergarten, but it could go even into um, the youth group ages. And so what, what does a, a family that exists in your church that's getting a diagnosis, what do they need most from you? And it is your presence. It's just you showing up, but it's you not being afraid, right, to to be there and sit with them and show compassion and help walk them through a loss of dreams that they had for their child. I mean, there is a little bit of, this is an unexpected th expected thing, even if a family had signs of it when the before the baby was born. They say, oh, we, we see these signs. We think your baby may be born with Down syndrome, for example. They, they could have an idea that that's coming even before the baby's born, but there's still so much they don't know. And you think about families who've adopted and they have all this paperwork, but then the child gets home and there's still things they didn't know. And so just being present with these families is a huge gift as we provide pastoral or congregational care for them. Absolutely. And I, I feel like the ministry hearts that we all share, our calling and our desire to serve families, we can start there. That is something yeah. that we can all do from a pastoral point of view is we can be present during those times. Um, secondly, you talk about provision. Tell us what you mean by that. Well, a lot of it is just how do you provide for the practical needs of these families? If you have a family uh, that has a child that was born early, a, a preemie child, then then they are going to have some needs. They're going to have uh, gas costs to get to the hospital. They may have to eat out more than they usually would. When the, when the child gets home, they have so many adjustments to make as a family. And so that first step is really meeting practical needs. I mean, we, those of us who've studied this, you, you know, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs and you have those low needs and you can't even think about the higher needs until mm -hmm. those lower needs are, melt, um, are met. And that's safety, security, mm -hmm. food, shelter. And so how can a church step in and help take care of some of those things that so that a family can focus on caring for the child in need, caring for the typical siblings in that family, caring for even themselves as they're juggling work and this new schedule. And like after James was diagnosed, we had people in our house all the time, an occupational therapist, a behavioral therapist. We went to therapy. He started special education preschool at just three years old. And so our everything about our lives changed. Our schedule changed what we spent money on changed. We we suddenly needed to find experts in this field. And, and so anything that a church can do to kind of come in and say, hey, here, here's a meal train mm -hmm. for every Wednesday, or hey, can I come and pick up your, your other kids for our Wednesday night activities so that, that you can stay home? Uh, a lot of churches do outreach events like respite nights. That's a way to, so that the kids with disabilities and the typical siblings come to the church and hang out and have a good time. And then the parents get to have a date night or, right. or go Christmas shopping or whatever they need to do. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, you just, you just look at a family and you think, what do they need the most? And how can our church come together and meet that need? Um, and you do this for any family in crisis, but uh 
just kind of having an organization to that and, and letting them know, here are the things that are available for your family. Here's who's going to be organizing that help for you. Here's your contact person. And then meeting those needs to the best of the church's ability. I love that because that is a tangible thing that we can do. And as human beings, we like tangible <laughs> things. Yeah. Like we, th these are things that we can do and we can operationalize. I think the the key here is to just have awareness and be mindful that these needs are are happening. And so you do that by just scanning the the people that are in your church and and you know, anticipating maybe even what those needs might be. They may not know to reach out. They may not know that they even need those things. But yeah. uh, as as ministry leaders, I think that that's part of our role is to be anticipating what some of those needs could be. And that's very, very tangible. So I love that. Yeah. We even have a saying at our church is we don't say, just let me know what you need. Right. We stop saying that because a family who's overwhelmed they have no idea what they need. Exactly. <laughs> they really don't. And they don't have the energy to tell you what they need. And so we try to frame things as like, hey, we always get pizza on Friday night. Let me text a family and say, hey, can I pick up an extra pizza and drop it by your house? Right. And so I you're offering that. something, like mm -hmm. you said, specific. Mm -hmm. And it's not so general that it's overwhelming to somebody who's already experiencing decision fatigue. Really, exactly. they have to make all these decisions and they just can't make one more. Exactly. I love that. Okay. Third, you have promise. And I love how these are all P's, by the way. <laughs> You've done a great job with that. But tell us what you mean by promise. You know, part of that is you want to promise that there's still going to be a place in your church for this child and for this family. Um, there's a lot of loneliness mm. that special needs families experience, especially as the gap between their child with disabilities and, and the typical peers, that gap could get wider and wider. It did in our family after our son was diagnosed with autism. At two and three, he was pretty typical around his peers, but then, you know, now he's 16. Mm -hmm. And in, in some ways, he's very much like he was as a two or a three-year-old. And so what we need as special needs families is just that promise. Hey, we're going to still be here for you. We're going to do what we, you are part of this church family, and that's not going to change. And we are going to do what we can we want to learn with you. We want to grow with your child. We want to take these steps. And so you really need this promise just that that they're not going to be alone, that they're not going to be abandoned, and that that their church family will continue to show up for them. And for what that looked like in our family, that meant that some changes had to happen in preschool ministry when James was young, and then in children's ministry as he grew, and then now in youth ministry, like every stage that he's gone through, our church has continued to make the promise to us, we're still your church family, and we are still your, your church home, and that means we're going to continue to do what we can to support and welcome and meet James's needs so that the whole family can continue to be part of the church. I love that. Um, I'm anticipating what listeners might be thinking right now, and I bet that they are completely tracking except for where there might be a bit of anxiety is that in order to make that promise, you really need a plan. Now there I inserted another P word. Um, so let's talk about, let's just pause here and talk a little bit about some specific ways that if you're not doing anything yet, where can you start to help uh, provide these, um, pro you know, make good on the promise to to be able to partner with with families? 
Yeah, this is a great question. And really, this is, I mean, we got to get to the nuts and bolts of it. Um, there's kind of three ministry models for inclusion. And the first one is a child with disabilities attends the typical class, but they get help from a buddy. And, and we'll talk more about that. Let me go through the three models okay. and then we'll go back and kind of talk through them. The second one is uh, like a, in school, they call it a self-contained class. In churches, we normally call it like a sensory room or a sensory class. And then the third option is a hybrid of both. And so if you are a normal sized church and you have one or two kids with disabilities, normally where you start is, is with a buddy ministry. And so you train somebody to kind of be that third or fourth adult in the classroom who's looking out for that child with disabilities. And you are helping make accommodations for them. You're supporting positive behavior choices. You are offering alternatives. So say they're doing an activity sheet and they don't know how to spell the word, right? So they can turn to their buddy. Their buddy helps them spell the word. I mean, the buddy's just really there for anything they need. At the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention, one of the tools that we give our churches is a buddy bag, which is kind of just a cinch backpack. And the buddy carries the buddy bag. It's not the child who carries it. And in that buddy bag, we have tools that the kid might need. So that could be noise reducing headphones. That could be fidgets that they play with. It could be a visual schedule. So kids who have anxiety about what's next mm -hmm. often benefit from a visual schedule where they can see, okay, we're going to do this and then we're going to check that off and then we're going to do this and check that off. Uh, we have visual timers, which are like a countdown. And so we can say, hey, we're going to be in this group time for 10 minutes and then we're going to take a break. And so you can set that timer and show those students how long 10 minutes really is, how they can look at it. Yeah. Um, and so all of those things kind of go in that buddy bag so that that volunteer has those resources and, and can meet those kids. Now, it can't, now you think, well, I can't, if you have multiple kids with disabilities, I mean, how many volunteers are we talking? And so at our church, now that we have multiple kids in the same classrooms, often we have what we call a floater buddy. And so that buddy, there's still one buddy, but that buddy may be meeting the needs of multiple kids in that classroom. And then we may uh, add another one. <laughs> if it's a class that has quite a few kids. And so that works for quite a few of our kids. Some of our other kids, and my son James is an example of, man, even that typical environment is too much. It's too overwhelming. He can't meet the expectations without distracting the teacher and his peers, and he's just not comfortable. And so at our church, we have sensory rooms and we have a, a class happening in that sensory room. And so we use the special buddies curriculum that Lifeway puts out and, and use that for that class. And so they have a lesson that that's more on their level, um, activities that are designed for them. But then there's sensory things in that classroom, like a ball pit and a trampoline and uh, that visual timer that I talked about, we have all of that and we have the visual schedule on the wall. And so these kids are just supported in every way possible for that to be a positive experience for them. Then a hybrid is you may have some kids who need both. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you may, they may be able to be in the typical class for a certain amount of time. And then some, either it's music time or it's, hey, we got to sit down at the table and we've got to do this activity sheet and they their behavior communicates that they can't handle that for that amount of time. And so then they take a break with their buddy into our sensory classes 
We normally set the visual timer so that we say, okay, you're only going to be in here for five minutes or 10 minutes, and then you're going to go back into your typical class. And so that has worked well for us at the different churches that we've been a part of that are normal sized churches. And so having somebody trained to be a buddy that kind of step in uh, and then having that sensory room, even a sensory corner or a sensory mm-hmm. hallway, mm-hmm. you know, if you can make your hallway fun, if you have a kid who needs a break and wants to take a walk down the hallway, are there things that like, we kind of have these things that you play the floor is lava on, you know, how you yes. jump from thing to thing. Mm-hmm. And so we can have those down our hallway. And that just gives that kid a break to say, if they they've got the wiggles, you know, and so right. we say, okay, let's get the wiggles out and then let's go back to class. And we'll be able to listen and focus better after we meet that sensory need. I love that. So what I hear you saying is, you don't have to have a huge budget to have a sensory room. I think there's there's sometimes we automatically think, oh, that means, you know, super high-end equipment. It can mean that, but yeah. it could also mean starting really simple. Yeah, it can. And you you may just like, there's some churches that have kind of a tent set up in a corner and they put really comfy pillows in that tent. And then the kiddo just says, oh, I'm, I'm overwhelmed, right? This room is, I, I can't handle this. And so they go in that tent for a little while and they, decompress and mm-hmm. and then they feel better and then they're able to rejoin the class. And so, um, yeah, any budget, any size church can do something, you know, I mean, we, and that's what's you, if you Google it, or if you search for Pinterest ideas, you, you could be co- totally overwhelmed <laughs> by what some churches and some therapy places are doing. But just remember, you, you're just meeting the needs of the one student you have, or the multiple students you have, you don't have to be overwhelmed by everything that's possible, just really say, I'm going to do what I can for this one student and this one family, meet their needs, and then that can grow. That's awesome. Uh, how do how do leaders, um, how are we able to intake these families so that we even know what the accommodations should be? I know you've got some best practices that perhaps you could share with our listeners for that. Yeah, I think this is great. I think especially Um, our church does this vacation Bible school, right? Like, so for regular Sunday vacation Bible school, anything you're going to do, you're going to set it up on your intake form and put a question on there that invites families to be honest Mm -hmm. about the needs that their kids have. And there's so many families, as we talked about in the last episode, that are afraid of being rejected by a church. And so they're going to hide that diagnosis, especially if the diagnosis is invisible anyway, like... ADHD or autism level one or anxiety, they're going to keep that from you because they don't want to be turned away from a church. And so what we do on our forms is we try to make that a question just as generic as possible, right? Does your child have any allergies, uh, any learning disabilities, any sensory needs, uh, mental health diagnosis, behavioral diagnosis, special need or disability that we need to know about so that we can best meet the needs of your child? That's how we word it. And then for us, that can open up a second document, if you're able to do that, that has more uh, questions that will help you know what, you know, like you have to know allergies, you have to know toileting practices, even, you know, for kids with disabilities, more significant disabilities, they're not always using the bathroom at the the typical time that other Mm -hmm. kids are potty trained. So you need to know that. Um, you need to know how what how they communicate. Do they communicate with a, a communication device like an iPad where they're touching icons? Are they verbal? Are they able to express 
when they need to go to the bathroom or, or all of that. So you're asking those type of questions. You're also asking about strengths. What does your child love? What makes your child happy? What do you love about your child? So that you can celebrate that and, and even put that in the classroom. If you have a kiddo who loves trains, then that may be a good motivator, you know, to have some trains in that classroom. So that's that's how we do it. And then what we like to do at our church, we call them individualized spiritual plans. And so if people are familiar with individualized education plans at school, these are the plans that go into caring for a child with disabilities. Well, at our church, we make it, we make spiritual plans. So we sit down with the families after we've gotten to know the, them after a couple of weeks and we've observed the kiddo and we say, okay, let's sit down and let's set some spiritual goals for your child. What, what spiritual goals do you have uh, when you think about like prayer, like what are they able to do when it comes to prayer or scripture memory? So we set some goals and then we put their likes and their dislikes and, and the things that they struggle with. And then we even put their schedule. So like when I talked about a, a kid may go back and forth between the typical room and the, the sensory room. So all of that is on this card that we print out and put like on a lanyard and we put it in the buddy bag. And so the buddy, the adult that's with the child has access to that and can look at it and say, okay, well, we're working on praying, only giving one prayer request when it's prayer request time and not dominating prayer request time. And so, okay, I'm going to remind the kiddo that I'm working with, hey, you know, it's going to be your turn next. We're going to share one prayer request and then, and so that that's a, an example of a goal that they would have at church. And then remember, we're going to have snack time and then you get to go to the sensory room for 10 minutes. And so all of that information's on that card. And it, it doesn't take a lot of time. I mean, it, but it gets everybody on the same page and it really changes your ministry from a place of just babysitting, right? Yes. Like, okay, we're just welcoming this kiddo, but we're going to put him in the sensory room and we're not going to... right even speak the gospel right. to him and tell him that Jesus loves I think loves that him. happens a lot. It does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we're going to change that with just thinking and being creative about what it could look like for this child to be a part of this church family. And especially as they, we want to speak the gospel over them. We want to give them opportunities to respond in, in ways that they can. And so all of that goes into this ISP, this individualized spiritual plan, so that we're all on the same page and encouraging that uh, spiritual growth in that child. I love that so much. And that should tug at our ministry heart uh, and motivate us to do all of these things, because it's not, like you said, it's not just about getting through that hour or two hours uh, with that child. And I think a lot of us uh, think about we're doing a ministry for the parents. So we're caring for the child so that the parents can grow. And yes, we are doing that. But while we have that child uh, in our ministry, we need to focus on, on them as image bearers and where God is moving in their lives at the level that they're on. And I think, you know, building awareness around that, the Lanyard idea is brilliant and um, and it's free. You know, that is something yeah. that we can all do. Um, it's a training component. So we have to, to, to make time to equip our volunteers. Um, but when you cast a vision like what you just did, Sandra, you're going to find people who are hungry to minister to these children. So I love the ISP plan. Um, these are great tangible things that that we can all do in our promise to partner with these families. Um, talk to us. The next P in, in this particular article is prayer. And again, 
we can do this. Tell us about that. Yeah, and this is really kind of focused on uh, where I talked about that gap in development between a, a child with disabilities and a typical child. And so the, the family needs your investment of prayer. They need, and that means you're thinking of them. That means you're reaching out to them and saying, I prayed for you today. So we're really talking about relationship building, which everybody, that's part of one of the reasons we join churches is to build relationships, to be brothers and sisters together and to have this shared mission. And so are we making sure that that special needs parents also have these opportunities for uh, fellowship together? And part of that is praying for each other. And so like during COVID years ago, when we weren't in church, I matched our women's ministry leaders with special needs families. And I said, hey, during this season of COVID, I'm going to give you the name of a family. And I, and pray for this family and send them cards when you think of it. And then when we came back together after COVID, this relationship was built because this women's ministry leader had been praying for this family. And you really think about the challenges that a family like mine faces. Like right now, my boys are 18 and 16. And so our 18-year-old is applying to colleges and he's driving and he's looking forward to all these things. And, and my 16-year-old isn't able to do any of that, right? So like my husband and I will probably never be empty nesters. Mm -hmm. Our son may always live with us. And so when you think about just having compassion mm -hmm. for the families in your church, just they they need to be seen and they need to be acknowledged and they need prayer so that they feel spiritually supported and encouraged and, and less lonely and less isolated. And, and praying for them is a huge part of that, but also even just texting and saying, I prayed for you yes. so that they know that they're not alone, especially as they go through, it's like cyclical grief, you know, like mm -hmm. you kind of come back to mm -hmm. it occasionally on a big milestone, like a 16th birthday when sure. like James had his 16th birthday and it was Blue's Clues themed, right? And yeah. so his brother, when he turned 16, was taking his, his driver's license test. And that's not what James was doing. And so there's a little bit of grief with that. Now, sure. of course, we love James and are so thankful for the way God designed him. But it's really just kind of like, oh, yeah, another birthday that's just like every birthday he's had since he was three. And so just feeling the prayers of the church family, because not everybody can volunteer and not everybody in the ministry and not everybody can even bring meals by, but everybody can pray. Right. So everybody can be a part of supporting special needs families. And a lot of churches have prayer ministries and, you know, people of all generations are usually part of that. And this is a way to invite just every part of the body of Christ to be able to pour into these families. Okay. I want to close with your last point, which is partnership. And this is not just partnering with the families, but even empowering these families to minister to the community that they live in outside of the church, which hopefully expands, you know, the kingdom. Talk to us about that. Yeah. I, I love telling our families that they're missionaries, Yes, right? We talked about the low numbers of special needs families that attend church. And so you could even say many of them are an un, unreached people group. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that's the language that we use for a group of people who haven't had the same exposure to the gospel. And so I tell families, look, when you're in waiting rooms at therapy, when you're at Special Olympics practice, you are a missionary. You speak the same language as the families around you. You've had the same experiences, but you have a hope that they may not have. And so how can I, as a ministry leader, empower these families to remember that they're on mission and that they have been through this experience in part 
to encourage others who are going through the experience. And so how can I help them turn around, look at the families that are behind them, coming up behind them and say, you can invest in these families. And the the primary way is sharing the hope that we have in Christ so that these families can experience that. And then also, hey, our church welcomes our family and they would welcome and serve your family. And so making sure that your church, once you empower these missionaries, you got to be ready That's right. for the harvest to say, hey, come in. We're, we're happy to have you. We're, we want you to be part of our church family. And uh, so we're plugging them into service opportunities in our church, but also in the community and really empowering them to uh, be on mission wherever they go. I love that. We're going to devote another episode in this series to how churches can minister to the community through special needs ministries. So uh, let's close here. But Sandra, thank you so much for joining us for these past two episodes. Um, I want listeners to know that uh, they can go to sandrapeoples.com to learn more and to check out your book, Unexpected Blessings, The Joys and Possibilities of Life in a Special Needs Family. Such a good resource. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you for being on our advisory team. Thank you for speaking into this uh, this ministry and helping churches all over Texas, but also just through LifeWay, uh, through helping us um, just have more awareness and more training around how we as the church can become a welcoming church to special needs families. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thanks for having me.